Hey everyone, it's your host James Olson. Before we get to the episode, I just wanted to share a quick reminder that Pacific Sound Radio has our very own playlist called Van City Jams. Van City Jams features bands and artists that we reference in every new episode that we drop along with a selection of our favorite local singles. The playlist is updated every week, so head on over to Spotify and expose yourself to some new and exciting Vancouver music. That's Van City Jams only on Spotify. We now return to your regularly scheduled podcast. Hello and welcome to Pacific Sound Radio, your go-to source for everything happening in the Vancouver music scene. I'm James Olson, and this week we're chatting with Madeline Reed. Madeline is a country folk artist who explores the contrast between rural nostalgia and urban hustle and bustle as a lifelong Vancouverite. On her debut record, Concrete Country, Madeline poses an intriguing question about urban North American life, which we will definitely be diving into on this episode. Before we get to that, here is a song off of her new LP. This is Roots. Now cross continental drive will help she thinks Help me find myself at age 23 Will you fly the whole world round? Will you wear through the soles of your boots? Never looking to find yourself Thank you, Madeline, for joining us. It's been a very exciting year for you so far. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's definitely, yeah, definitely been really exciting. Let's go back to chapter one of your musical journey, though. How did you get your start as a vocalist and songwriter? Ooh, well, I've been playing music my whole life. My dad's a musician and my sister and I were fortunate enough to go to a fine arts elementary school. So I spent a lot of my childhood playing music, started writing songs very young, um, and then I had also the fortune of going to the Sarah McLaughlin school of music when I was in high school and doing a lot of sort of vocal work there. I took vocal ensemble and, uh, choir and private lessons and then sort of put music away. So that's, that's, the, that's the beginning. That's the beginning of sort of songwriting voice training, put music away kind of to go pursue a completely unrelated undergraduate degree. And then graduated and was like, oh my gosh, I haven't played music in four years. And then, so I would say 2018 is really when I started pursuing music and sort of honing a craft more intentionally. I kind of had a similar experience, actually. I tried to get musical projects going while I was in college and I was just too busy. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. Even now I work as well. And I just this week had to reduce my work hours because I realized that I need to create, allow for more time in my daily life to to make music and to perform and stuff. As long as you can keep the bills paid, like that's awesome. Yes. Yeah, totally. So we'll see how it goes. (laughs) I'm hopeful. (laughs) What types of style of music did your dad play? Like what bands was he in? Oh yeah, totally not. So that's another interesting thing that I'm sure we'll talk about more, but uh, I make, you know, alt country folk music and it took basically until uh, I went to university. So that's okay. That's the one thing about my university experience that was, you know really beneficial to my music career is that I discovered folk and country through my friends there but I didn't grow up with that at all really my 
dad plays like <laughs> i want to say like dad rock you know like blues rock from anywhere from the you know 70s 80s 90s in that range i would say that's sort of the genre my dad plays so that's very very near and dear to my heart but not at all what i make myself there's a little bit of crossover with some of the ballads but oh well thank you yeah he'll well, be really stoked to hear that yeah. <laughs> well, i was just thinking about like blues rock and in yeah. connection or relation to like folk and stuff totally oh totally yeah. totally totally just thinking about like almond brothers for example for sure for yeah. sure i mean there's so much um I mean, what what even is genre, right? Like, there's so much <laughs> musical crossover in all these different ways. But yeah, it's, it's true. These days, especially, it's like yeah. I, I swear, music journalists are just like they're they're scratching their heads trying to come up with terms. Yeah, and everyone's everyone's bio is like genre bending, yeah. whatever, <laughs> it, <laughs> including my own. Yeah, idea. it's <laughs> almost a cliche to say that, like, oh, I've I've got my own sound. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which I mean, yeah. but that's a good thing, I think. But, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, that, exactly. that everyone has their own sound. Yeah, precisely, and that everyone's like listening broadly. Totally, I always find it fun when artists mention, like, "Yeah, I was really influenced by this thing." That's like totally left field of the sound mm-hmm. of the music that they make. Totally. Yeah, you emphasize in your promotional material that you were born and raised in Vancouver. So I am curious. You did partially answer this, but I am curious as to how you fell in love with a, you know, decidedly rural styles of music and folk and country. Totally, totally. So. This is a question that I that really guided actually the creation of this album for me. I as soon as I loved folk and country, I was kind of confused actually. I was kind of I was like, "Huh, why why do I like this genre of music?" I mean, obviously, you know, there's the aesthetic listening quality. It's beautiful, it's wonderful to listen to, it's fun. Um depending on, you know, obviously there's a really wide range of music within folk and country as genres, but I particularly was confused by the subject matter and my own relationship to it and listening to, you know, folk and country music that talks about rural places and made me feel nostalgic for places that I don't understand or don't know that aren't my own experiences. And I think that's something very powerful about folk and country and beautiful. But then when it came to me realizing that was the style that felt like it suited me best as a musician, I didn't really know what to write about because I felt it felt wrong to, you know, pretend that I had these experiences growing up in rural places and could relate to this sort of like, yeah, content aspect of the genre. But then I was hesitant to write about my own experiences because it felt like it wasn't a part of the genre to write about urban spaces. And so then I, but then I sort of thought, okay, well, what if I actually just did that and let's see, let's see how it goes. (laughs) And so that's what led me to really honing in on, you know, taking the inspiration from folk and country that is really rooted in place a lot of the time, but then rooting it in my own place that I know and understand and so that's why I'm I'm so, you know, I emphasize so much that I grew up in Vancouver because I really wanted this album to be about about that and sort of playing, yeah, playing with nostalgia that is often created in folk and country music, um, but about places, you know, kind of times gone by and like could I could I root that in the now in you know the Vancouver that I know and create a sort of nostalgia and longing for an urban place. Was it a deliberate decision to kind of stray away from some, I I guess, kind of more expected subjects when it comes to like 
folk and country in terms of like, oh, woe is me sort of stuff. <laughs> I say that broadly. but Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question that I've been thinking. I've been thinking about that a lot recently because I've been playing now this album for a number of months, you know, live and rehearsing it and whatever. And it just occurred to me really recently that I, I don't have a lot of very vulnerable songs on the album and i think part of that is that i'm a generally pretty happy person which i not a bad thing (laughs) you know i yeah i'm definitely grateful for that and i also was like hmm maybe i am you know afraid of being vulnerable in my music and i should i should uh, think about that for album number two Mm. (laughs) and work on that a bit but uh no it wasn't it wasn't really intentional more that i really was focused on like characterizing this this place you know vancouver in song was was sort of what what guided that also can i add more to what i previously said yeah i I just remembered something that was pretty key to me uh coming up with this idea for this album and that is i listened to a podcast called i believe it's called songs that cross borders and i think it's a radio lab episode and in that episode they talk about why country music is so beloved around the world even though it's rooted in a very particular context which is like the rural united states but people all over the world love country music in particular dolly parton because you know what's not to love it's dolly it's dolly (laughs) dolly's like the the beatles of country truly yeah just like there's universal like there's no (laughs) she i know she's incredible um but so in this podcast, they, they're exploring this phenomenon of like, why is country music so popular anywhere, even though it's so specific? And what they talk about is they talk about how it creates this feeling of nostalgia and longing for sort of the past. And it does this through the musicality and the instrumentation and also through the lyrics, but, you know, through like the pedal steel and through yodeling and these different things. And so and a statistic that blew my mind in this podcast was they say that um, country music soared into popularity in the United States at the same moment that the majority of the U S population was living in urban areas for the first time in history. So basically when once more people were living urbanly in cities, it makes sense, right? Because it creates this, if you're already living in a rural place, you're not like feeling nostalgic for that place because you're already in it or you could be, but you know what I mean? Like, whereas if you move to the city, yeah, yeah, you're like thinking about, Oh, where I used to live or where my grandparents Mm -hmm. lived and like a different time and a different way of growing up. Um, and so anyways, this, this podcast really illuminated for me sort of the, the power of how country music can create these, these feelings of attachment and longing. And that's, and then I was curious, like, can, could you do that for a city location? which is not as romanticized in the, in the, in the mm-hmm. same, it's not romanticized in the same way. And so that was all part of the driving, yeah, inspiration for me to write this album as well. Who are some of those initial artists that inspired you to create your own music? Hmm. I think, you know, going way back, obviously my dad, um, I'm going <laughs> to set the internet on fire here. I don't love Taylor Swift now, but I, I did in high school a lot. And I think that, you know, having a a very popular sort of folky country at the time, female role model um, who played guitar and sang, like I, I really um, appreciated her a lot for that. And, and a lot of like how I s- 
at some point I started teaching myself guitar. I learned a little bit in elementary school, but then once I hit high school, I was self-taught. And so I learned a lot of guitar through, um, through learning Taylor Swift's music. And so that's like early days found her really inspiring. And then the, the people who really sort of steered me in the musical direction that I'm in now, I would say are people like Sarah Jarose or I'm with her, which includes Sarah Jarose, Efo Donovan and Sarah Watkins. They're amazing. Um, Caitlin Canty is someone I really admire as well. I mean, as well as Dolly and her um, peers like Emmylou Harris, um, Linda Ronstad, these, yeah, these sort of really strong female vocalists and instrumentalists. Um, those are, yeah, the key people who inspire me now. What have you been listening to lately? What's on your summer playlist? Ooh, okay. This is fun. I actually just this week created a Spotify playlist called summer of 23, uh, because I was fortunate enough to go play tiny lights music festival in Weimar a couple weeks ago. And then I was at Campbell Bay music festival on main Island and realized that I just wanted to remember all the amazing music I was consuming. And so started making a playlist just of all the artists I've seen live this summer. Um, people that are on that playlist, kind of everyone who's young and making music in Winnipeg right now. I don't know if you're like aware of how much amazing music is coming out of Winnipeg, but, um, all my favorite artists are from Winnipeg right now. Um, wow, okay. I know. Good I know. To hear. <laughs> it's really great. I mean, I think, you know, it's cold. There's lots of time to create in the winter and it's affordable. So it's a conducive artistic environment. Yeah. Cause I hate to say like the only Winnipeg bands that like jump out off the top of my head that I can name are like BTO and Propagandi. <laughs> oh yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> di- totally different. Um, uh, people in Winnipeg, Madeline Roger. Um, and so these are people on my playlist, Madeline Roger, Boy Golden, love boy golden and i guess he's like i would say pretty genre different and i think i'm really inspired by him um fontine is amazing uh noah dirksen uh leith ross chris ulrich like all these there's so many that was six already there's so many amazing artists coming out of winnipeg um those yeah so those folks are on my summer playlist (laughs) cool i gotta keep those in mind because i'm always I'm always stumped sometimes in terms of like, I'm really good about listening to like local stuff, obviously mm-hmm. for this show. Got to you know, keep my finger on the pulse and like international artists are like, you know, always it's what you're exposed to the most, but like Canadian stuff. I'm like, ah, I got to listen to more stuff from other parts of the country. Totally. So I'll definitely keep those artists in mind. So your first professionally recorded single, How Easy, uh-huh. has a bit of a story behind it. What can you tell us about this song and how it led to the record that became Concrete Country? Mm, I'm so glad you're asking me this because I I feel like I've I feel like it's important to talk about about that experience because it was so important to me and I don't haven't had the chance to talk about it nearly enough given that the album has been the focus but it, yeah so basically that song happened because I like I said graduated from university realized I needed to make music because I had been totally neglecting that aspect of myself and I reached out to my friends, uh, Lauren and Kate Kurdiak, who are of uh, the band Vox Rea. And, and on the show. And on the show. Yeah. yeah perfect. Not surprising. <laughs> That's great. Um, and so we went to the same university and I reached out to Kate and I said, hey, I have a song that I wrote. So yeah, at some point I wrote How Easy in this year post-university. Uh, I reached out to Kate and said, hey, I wrote this song and I really want to work with a producer on it. I think it's good. 
but I really want to work with a female producer. Like I would really, really like that experience. And Kate said, I know just the gal. Her name is Louise Burns. And at the time I didn't like realize how incre- incredible it was that, the, that I was being connected to Louise Burns. You know, I didn't like understand. And then I came to realize like, oh my gosh, I am working with this like incredible, incredible musician producer. Um, but so Louise and I connected and, and that was my first, yeah, that was my first experience working with a producer. We recorded, we workshopped the song together and then recorded it at 604 studios because Louise, as I think is on the label. She works there all the time with artists. Yeah. She's either on 604 or light organ. Yeah. They're yeah. the same. Right, right. 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 Yeah. Um, and so had all these incredible musicians playing on it um had louise sing vocals on it and yeah it had it has like 60 tracks on it or something ridiculous and very exciting um and then and then the pandemic happened so i i was kind of waiting to release it and then i was really waiting to release it and we released it later but yeah i mean that experience there were so many aspects of it that let i think helped propel me in the direction towards creating concrete country one is just feeling you know a level of self-confidence because i you know my abilities were being validated by other people who i thought were really amazing um and i mean i think that was the biggest thing and like and also working learning how to work with other people on your own music i i hadn't really had that experience and it was really challenging for me in a lot of ways like i felt very I don't know if defensive is the word, but protective, I guess, of my, of my song. And it was hard to like trust someone else with it and, and have them give feedback and, and be willing to change it. And I do think that was a huge learning curve for me in that process. Um, but yeah, really, really. And then really realizing that I had the ability to orchestrate the creation of a project, you know, from, from beginning to end, obviously immensely with Louise's help, but, um, yeah, sort of getting an understanding of how to do that for a single, I think really helped me later be able to, you know, scale that up to a full album. Yeah, it's really valuable getting that third party perspective. Totally. On songwriting, arrangement, recording. Yeah. yeah, totally. Super helpful. Especially when it's like someone who isn't um I guess married to the the material mm-hmm. to put it one way. Yeah. And I think what what's interesting about that is I think it has that experience also taught me to not be married to my own material, you know, to try and have separation because often, you know, it it can be helpful to be really invested in a particular idea, but also I feel like I learned what it means to try and make decisions that serve the song Mm -hmm. and and what's going to make the song have the most impact or you know communicate the best or or sound the coolest um yeah that was a big part of that process your debut lp concrete country Mm -hmm. asks an intriguing question what does it mean to live in a north american city in the 21st century how do the songs contained on this release explore this theme yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's funny. I wrote that question and I think it's more specific. I think it's, I think it's like the Pacific Northwest particularly. Um, is that, yeah, because that's North America broadly, right? Yeah. It's, well, that's yeah. That's what the question says. Yes, that was yeah. me. I wrote that question <laughs> um, in my bio, I think. I, 
Well, no. Okay. Yes and no. I mean, I think there's some like, you know, universal aspects of North American city culture, but I also think there's very particular regional, regional, regional characteristics. There's, I really wanted to sort of be, write songs in a very varied way. Like each song, I feel I took a quite a different approach and tried to talk about a different thing. Um, I tried to be really specific and, and cause who, some literature teacher I had in, in university talked about how, you know, the, some often the more specific you are, the more universal it becomes or the more people are able to relate. Cause if you try, well, mainly if you try to be, you know, universal, you probably are just going to be cliched. Mm-hmm. So just like giving really specific information helps to make things relatable and new and interesting. So I tried to do that. I tried to think about my life and think about things I see and like places I go and, and really characterize those spaces and try to be very explicitly Vancouver centric. And one, because I feel like Vancouver is an underrepresented city in, in art um, and music. And also I figured, you know, okay, if I'm really specific, even if this place I'm talking about someone has never been to they'll put themselves in the in the most similar place that they've been to i think it's uh almost like if you're specific with the details someone who can relate to that very keenly is like oh i know that feeling mm-hmm. i know what you're talking about totally yeah yeah but also again like you know you want to avoid the the broad platitudes mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and i think i also wanted to because as i was as i was mentioning earlier i i wanted to explore this idea of nostalgia and attachment and like can you facilitate that through song about an urban place with country music i mean sometimes i find i love vancouver that's why i wrote an album about it (laughs) but sometimes i find it a very frustrating place and so with this album i didn't want to i wanted it to really be a fulsome love letter to vancouver if that makes sense i wanted to sort of explore the things i love about it and also the things that i find challenging or frustrating and this comes through in a lot of different ways. One of an example is in my song Waltz on Robson. I was inspired to write that song because I find Vancouver very lacks like goofiness. It lacks play and fun and is very serious um, and not very spontaneous or like supportive of arts and culture. I think it's getting better in a lot of ways, but there's a lot of like barriers in the way to being creative and being fun <laughs> in Vancouver. And so I wrote that song as, you know, imagining what it would be like if people stopped overworking themselves and stopped taking their corporate jobs so seriously and just like danced in the street together. And oh, and I was thinking about Vancouver being often talked about as a very isolating or very lonely city, a place that's very hard to make connections and meet new people. And so that's what that song came out of was I was like, what if there was an alternative Vancouver where people did come together and dance and find community and connection really easily and didn't, you know, focus so much on, on work and stress. So that's one, one song example. Um, Another is I talk about the first song on the album. Helen's is about the locally owned flower shop around the corner from the house that I grew up in. And also the house I still live in because Vancouver is very expensive. And so I live with my parents. Shout out to Candace and Mike. Um, And that song is also like totally a love song about this community space that everyone loves. And 
just about neighborhoods and those like locally owned businesses that make us feel like we have relationships with, you know, with people who we buy our coffee from or like we know, you know, familiarity and, and knowing the people in our communities. And so that part is very much like, oh my gosh, how beautiful is it to live in a city where you can find this type of connection? But also at the same time, the song ends with me talking about gentrification and talking about development and how like these mom and pop shops are being put out of business because they can't afford rent anymore. Um, And questioning, you know, whether I will always feel at home in this place if all the things I know and love are forced to disappear and maybe like me too, if I can't afford to live here anymore. So in that way, also capturing, you know, characterizing what it's like to live in a North American city is like, Oh, you know, there's the possibility to be connected to community and to have all these cool places you can go. But also there's the reality of like rising costs of living and gentrification and loss of, of culture um, in on the path that a lot of places are currently heading. Yeah, because I was going to ask or was going to reference, of course, with Helen's lament that encroaching gentrification Mm -hmm. and the title track, Concrete Country, like frames the city uh, in a way similar to like the um, hostility of like the dense woods. Are there times where you feel that getting out of the city might be favorable? (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to dwell too much on the negativity (laughs) because I will say with the album, you take a very... uh, it, it, and appreciate this as a balanced approach because it's way too easy, especially as a Vancouverite, to be really hard on living in Vancouver. Well, right. And I really didn't. And I really wanted to avoid that because, like I said, part of the point was like, can I create a sense of like nostalgia and like love for the place I, I live in? And I didn't want to just, you know, lament the past Vancouver because that's kind of how I grew up hearing about Vancouver because my parents grew up in Vancouver and my mom's parents also grew up in Vancouver. And so throughout my whole life, I've heard stories of like what Vancouver used to be. And certainly at least in the more recent years of my life, the narrative has become a little bit like, Oh, it used to be better Um, for all sorts of different reasons. Uh, And so I really wanted to, because the point was to talk about how much I like this place uh well not that wasn't just the point but a lot of the point was was that i didn't want to dwell on the negative too much or i wanted to you know provide the nuance because i think that's interesting too right like nothing is black or white nothing is perfectly right or wrong or bad or good and so yeah i wanted to make sure that that was how i approached the songs oh but to answer your question of do i just want to leave uh yeah last weekend on main island was pretty great <laughs> the island is beautiful <laughs> it's so beautiful i and i i sometimes feel i grew up in east vancouver which is i arguably the most i'm biased heavily but i would say you know the most community oriented neighborhood in vancouver proper um i think there's other pockets as well of of community but um i th- i do think that that has actually played into my desire to potentially live in a smaller place. Like I sometimes Vancouver in East van feels like a small town. Like I walk down the street and I run into people I know basically every day. Commercial drive. Commercial drive. Nearby our uh, recording studio. Yep. I cannot, I cannot walk down commercial without seeing at least one person I know, which when I was hanging out with a friend from Fort St. John, she was like, Oh my God, you would think we were in a small town (laughs) based on how many people you've run into. Um, And so sometimes I feel like if, 
I feel like I could, I could live elsewhere because if that small town feeling went away, I don't think I would, I don't know if I'm really truly a city person. And considering the, I get like, yeah, the country folk. Mm-hmm. I know. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> the music knows. The music yeah. is telling us. Yeah. Kind of speaking to that, because of course your lyrics are, as is what we've been talking about with the album, brimming with references to the city. Like, you know, you talk about English Bay and Robson Street. How do you go about framing the city in a way akin to how other country artists write about their small town, like the farm or the countryside? That's a good question. I think the approach I tried to take with this album is really embracing the idea of storytelling in a, in a very descriptive sense. So like really talking about the places that I was in um, and the characters in those places. Um, So that, and I think, yeah, I think storytelling is a huge aspect of folk and country. And so by being very descriptive about, about the place, about the people, I hoped to one, you know, really capture Vancouver in, in song and what it's like. And also, you know, even though I was not talking about rural places, I was hopefully telling a story in the way that might be told about rural places was sort of my approach. Nice. Earlier this season, we had Janky Bungag on the show. Janky. Yeah. Love him. <laughs> and he is uh, one of the few artists in the city that seem to be part of this new wave of quote unquote urban country artists. Any thoughts on how this scene within the Vancouver music scene emerged? I have been asked this and I really didn't know what to say, but I do think that there's a lot of us. I think there is a real, you know, the Heatley, if you go to the Heatley and I guess now the painted ship as well, the Heatley on Hastings, um, the painted ship on West Broadway are sibling restaurants owned by the same folks. And the Heatley is really like the folk country bluegrass venue of Vancouver. And they have live music all the time. Like, multiple nights yeah yeah. every night a week and that's and they showcase folk country bluegrass um and a lot of the folks who play there are are young um like janky they have the string band tuesday on tuesday nights which has folks like mark kiliansky um allison de groot and um patrick mcgonigal when they're in town trent freeman the bar, one of the bartenders at the Heatley, Vanessa, she's an incredible country singer. There's also Spank Williams. There's actually, there's a lot of us. Mm-hmm. I think partially we're in a time of much, you know, turmoil <laughs> and uh, many challenges. There's a lot of anxiety about the state of the world. And so I think that country and folk, it lends itself really well to that type of climate global climate because it is you know can be very like lamentful or um sad and a way to process deep emotions i mean you could say this about any genre but also you know this idea of nostalgia i'm going to come back to it again um and thinking about times when things weren't so hard and things were less stressful and i feel like there is something about country and folk that does that that might bring some comfort to people in a time of so much uncertainty yeah, it's just something that I've observed that I think is like very interesting. Just like, oh, mm-hmm. this emergent like alt country scene in Vancouver, totally. especially because um, historically, uh, again, based on my uh, understanding of like just 
what the Vancouver music scene's been like, you know, since the '60s, is that this has largely been like a rock town, rock mm-hmm. and metal town. So it's cool to see other stuff like pop up. Totally, yeah. Concrete Country was co-produced by yourself and Andrew Conroy at a studio I hadn't heard of before called Flash Recordings. What was it like working with a new production collaborator after working with Louise Burns? Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew's fabulous. Flash is fabulous. Check them out. Um, they're so great. They are very affordable. Very. I yes. Yes. Andrew sort of defines, I don't want to really speak on his behalf too much, but he has said to me before, you know, he wants to be sort of the people's studio. He'll, he'll find a way to work with you on any, any budget. And that's, that's sort of why I ended up going to him initially is because I really wanted to make at least an EP, potentially a full album. And I wanted to apply, I applied for a grant from Canada council for the arts to do that project. And I went to Andrew and he was, and he said, you know, I'll help you with, if you need demos for the project um, and for the application. And, you know, regardless if, if we get the funding, we'll do something, excuse me, we'll do something together. And so that was a really great for me because I was like, okay, great. Even if I don't get this funding, I'll be able to do something. And then we were fortunate enough to get the funding. And so that meant that we could do a full LP, which was awesome. Um, but yeah, Andrew's approach is, I mean, Andrew, yeah, really different. He actually used to engineer at 604. So similar lineage in some ways. Um, but yeah, definitely a very different working with Andrew. Andrew and Louise are, you know, have different sort of genre backgrounds. I feel like Andrew is kind of more, has more of an indie rock background. Louise is more pop based, which, which was I think actually kind of an interesting challenge for me in both scenarios, because I was not making the style of music that either of those people make (laughs) usually. Um, So it really pushed me to think about, okay, what, what do I want my sound to sound like? Um, But Andrew is such a, like a nurturing collaborator. He is so good at, you know, listening to what I'm saying, translating it into, into something, um, having really awesome ideas. Um, he just produces such incredible work and, and really is dedicated. Uh, and he's just like really nice and fun. <laughs> we had brunch one day before starting our recording day with the whole band, which was so, so nice. And I mean, it was great to have funding to sort of have the flexibility to do stuff like that, as opposed to stress, trying to cram everything into, you know, a 16 hour day. Um, he also only works eight hour shifts. He will not work any longer which is awesome because I think it just means everyone's happier. (laughs) Yeah. Once it starts dragging into the evening, you start to sharpen your knives. (laughs) Yeah. It's just not, it's not, it's not dramatically, but yeah, yeah, but it's not, I I don't like your banjo tone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Don't bring out the banjo in hour 10. That's not going to work out well. (laughs) I'll break that over your head. (laughs) Speaking of which you were joined by nine Nine different. Oh, thanks for uh, counting. Uh, di- different musicians. Yeah, I, I did count. I had to double count. Uh, so nine different musicians. Did you count the cat? Uh, I don't know there's a cat. Yeah, she actually passed away. It's very Aww. very sad. But there, um, on Succession, the third track on the album, uh, we had we had fourteen mics on the drum kit, which was a lot. One of which was in the hallway, and the cat was sort of meowing, yowling <laughs> outside. So if you listen on some speakers, you can actually hear the cat's meow um, in the solo of that song. 
And did you, you had to credit the cat? I did right? credit the okay. cat. She is on the vinyl record as a collaborator, as a contributor. Wonderful. Yeah. But otherwise, um, other than the cat, nine. <laughs> yeah. Nine, nine musicians and the cat uh, are on the album, including local solo artist uh, Savannah Reed. She is my sister. And I understand most of them also make up your live band, Madeline and the Petra Chorus. Yes. Yeah. So how have they helped breathe life into your songs in the studio and on stage? Oh my gosh. So, so much. I was actually talking to Savannah on the phone yesterday and we, she's also just sort of recently this year started playing with a band. And prior to that, we were both largely solo artists or we would sing together, the two of us. And we were just talking about how much playing with a band in the studio and live just changes everything. Like, I think that is why I had to reduce my work hours at my job so that I could play more music because I, there's something that happens when you play with other people who you think are amazing and then they think you're amazing and you just are on stage together playing off of each other's stuff and it, and it grows into this whole, you know, it grows into something that's so much greater than, than each individual. And as a solo artist, I just never experienced that. Um, and I was also limited in my own capabilities as a solo artist. You know, I'm a decent guitar player. I'm a decent singer, but to have, you know, I remember the first band re- band practice where we were rehearsing for the album and I was like, oh, I don't, ha- I'm a playing acoustic guitar, but I don't have to play the rhythm and the bass and the melody. You know, like I can, I can allow the drums to do take over and the bass to take over. And, um, and then there's people harmonizing with me. So there's so much more power in, in the vocals just because there's more of us. Um, and, and also the, you know, the songs were able to become pieces that I hadn't, I couldn't even conceptualize before everyone was in the studio making them. So I, yeah. How has, how has it impacted my work? Oh my God, immensely. And I don't know that I can really go back now. I've, I played, I played my tour that I played was solo until we played the festival and then the band came and I, I did have a lot of fun, but I did feel when, when we had our shows with the full band, I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. And how did you assemble this Motley crew? Yeah. Um, well, they, I, basically, I stole... Do you know the band Spindle? Uh, I haven't heard of them. Okay, they're a jazz, jazz band out of Capu. Um, basically, I stole... like One of many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I stole like three quarters of the band. Um, Smart move. Steal those jazz thank cats. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know my whole band is, is jazz musicians who I've like coerced into playing folk with me. Uh, no, they, they love it. They love it. Um, as far as, as long as they're being honest with me, they love it. <laughs> but uh, sarcastically playing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, oh, this is great. I love this song. <laughs> um, but what ended up happening is I, I moved in with a friend with whose friend went to the cap jazz program yamil chain haddad he's in bungalow earth tones heard a bungalow yeah yamil plays bass in bungalow great roommate miss him dearly and basically because i moved in with one you meet one cap jazz student and you meet them all immediately um and sydney tough the bass player in my band also plays bass in earth tones and, and is the childhood best friend of our other roommate mari so i met sydney first and we started co-writing together and her partner is Jameson and he plays drums. And then so it was Jameson and Sydney. And then I wanted a fiddle player and they also have a friend Katie. And so now Katie Stewart is in the band. Um, and then I actually had Yamil play 
um, play guitar on the record. Um, but he no longer plays with us, um, primarily because he has lots of other great work, um, and just scheduling can be challenging. Um, and also just genre differences. Um, he's much more in the sort of like R and B pop funk world. And obviously that's, I'm in the folk country. And so we ended up connecting or my band ended up connecting me with Madeline Elkins who plays electric guitar for us and banjo when we need it, which uh, is, as you can imagine, it is confusing to have two Madelines on stage, but I find it kind of fun. (laughs) Um, And that's, that's the band. That's the band primarily. And then there's some other folks who float in and out like Dean Teeson plays keys sometimes for us. Um, My friend Jackson Gardner plays pedal steel sometimes and he is completely unrelated to the rest of the group we met him because he's a friend of andrew's um this the sound engineer and then the other folks i think are my family members so oh and ella korth i'll say last last artist to mention ella korth plays the acoustic guitar on roots and i met her because we went to the same university but not at the same time it was a very small university, but that's why we all know each other um but so she reached out to me and said you know hey i moved to vancouver and i saw your musician and we both went to this small weird school. Do you want to jam? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> so that's, I think how I met everyone who's involved in the album. Nice. So you got like probably four, five people to play with you at a time. Yeah. Usually our live shows are f- five total. Yeah. 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 The album release show at the Fox, we did seven people, which was wow. kind, almost too much, mm-hmm. but it was a lot of fun. There was just a lot of like instruments all occupying the same space. So we had to be kind of choosy about who was playing when, you know? Yeah, it's like you get to a certain level and you can get away with having like a string quartet on, with, on stage yeah, with you, yeah. but like you have to be like, you know, raising my ha- hand up to the ceiling here, like there <laughs> yeah, in order to totally. get away with that. I always find it funny thinking about like um, bands with like way too many members that play like on, you know, the entry level stages, mm. like how much of a pain in the ass that might be for like the sound people. Totally. How many of you are there of you? Oh, nine. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely just trying to make sound engineer, engineer's life complicated with our seven-person band. But it was awesome. It was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> You've released one music video for the song Fairweather Rider. Who came up with the idea to have you bike in the snow? Oh, yeah. I would technically say that I've released four music videos. Fairweather Rider is the most music video-y type. I also have an animated music video that's ah. kind of a lyric video, which is beautiful for Roots. Um, and then we did a live video of Helen's in Helen's Flower Shop which was very cool. So yeah, I guess that doesn't maybe count as a music video per se. Yeah. So fair with the writer. So that w- when I wrote that song, that song was the first song I wrote um, that went on the album, like in terms of timeline, it, I wrote it in, I think early 2019 ever from the moment I started writing this song, I had this image in my mind of me biking in the pouring rain in a summer dress. And that was the whole, that was just the image I had. And I was like, one day I'm going to make a music video and that's going to be the music video. I'm just going to be biking in the rain in a, fl- in a floral dress. Fast forward three years and I'm connecting with pr- uh, director Ariana Roach. We're talking about ideas and I tell her I have this idea. And initially she was like, okay, we'll, we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. Um, you know, we'll just, we'll rent a van. We'll put the, we'll open the doors of the van. We'll put the camera in the van and then you'll just follow the van and the camera will film you. Then the camera will be dry and from the rain. 
And then that suddenly felt very logistically complicated because of, you know, we were like, do we get permits? Do we go rogue? What, what, how do we do this? Um, is this even a safe way to do this? And then I said, okay, actually, what if we make the bike stationary and then, and then we can just find a way to make it interesting. And she's like, oh yeah, that's easier. That's easier. Um, and then it was December, 2022 and the forecast called for full sun. And we were like, that completely defeats the point of the video if it's full sun. And that's when we came up with the ideas um, to like throw the buckets of water on me and like spray me with a hose and a leaf blower because we were like, hey, what if we just fabricate the weather? And then it's even more ridiculous because it's sunny out and I'm just like dousing myself in water. And then the night before, the forecast no longer called for sun. It called for a very significant Vancouver snowfall. And is this during the blizzard by chance? I think I, you could call it a blizzard okay. by Vancouver standards. Yeah, yeah it there was, was like, there was that blizzard around Christmas time that just yeah, it was like ruined a week, everyone's week, a basically. week before Christmas. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was so that, that was that yeah. one. Yeah, and then uh, and then we were like, well, maybe this is better. <laughs> um, but we kept the buckets of water in the video because we thought it was fun. Uh, however, it meant that we could only do it in one take because mm. otherwise I would be wet. You know, we had to make it so that I was dry in the beginning and wet later. Yeah. Um, only one take. And also uh, for that reason and that I would get very cold very quickly because yes. it was like minus two. Yeah. Um, was it a ridiculous idea? Absolutely. But it was really fun. <laughs> and you got it all in one take? We got it all in one take. Yeah. Bless my sweet sister, Savannah. Um, we got her all suited up in rain gear and like ski goggles and she practiced on the bike with people dumping water on her um, so that we could get the shots right before it was me in mm. the dress. Um, so she let us dump water on her a number of times, which was very kind. <laughs> Any other music videos in the works? Yeah. So I just released, uh, I was really lucky as well to receive funding from Creative BC for three music videos for this project. So that's what funded Fairweather Rider and the live video of Helen's. And then today um, we released the last, the final and most, um, the, the biggest, the final and biggest video of, of the three, which is a video for Concrete Country. And it is the most exciting, high-end, spectacular video I've ever been involved with. There were 23 crew members, maybe 25 actually. We had to do a, a pickup day. So 25 crew members, around 25 extras. We rented a ranch in Langley. Um, we had 19 different scenes. We really made a short film is what actually ended up happening. It was very, um, the director and I were talking, we were like, we could have made this idea a lot simpler but we really went for it and it's really cool you can watch it now on youtube oh nice mm -hmm. kind of reminds me of uh i think like the mid 2000s a lot of bands were doing the trend where they'd have like acting before getting into the songs oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. totally um yeah it's a really fun video it's sort of like <laughs> speaking of the early 2000s it's sort of like if you turned the hannah montana movie into a three and a half minute music video <laughs> What song off of Concrete Country means the most to you? I, ooh, okay, it's sort of a, to honestly, it's a toss-up between the first three songs on the album, which are Helen's, Roots, and Succession. For all different reasons, Roots, I'm going to cheat, and I'm just going to quickly explain why all three of them are important to me. Um, <laughs> Roots 
is often my favorite song. I think it, um, I'm really proud of the songwriting and the storytelling of that song and the just general concept. I, yeah, I just think it's a, one of my, the best songs I've ever written. So I really love it for that reason. Helen's I love because it, I mean, it means so much to me because it's really about, um, it's really about, you know, the neighborhood I grew up in and it meant so much to play that song live in Helen's store and to make that video. And that I remember making that video and thinking, wow, I feel like I'm really creating like, like an artifact of my life or like, I'm really like capturing this, this beautiful thing in this song, in this video. And then succession is similar, but different. Um, I also think it's one of the best songs I've ever written. I mean, all these songs are like the best songs I've ever written, right? Which is why they're out in the world now. But, um, but I love succession because it really impacts people. Like when I play it live, often people come up to me and they'll say that, that one song, is so cool and I it means so much to me because it I speak about my family in it and and about that sort of you know development over time in Vancouver and the evolution of Vancouver and so um in terms of its its relevance to my sort of theme that I was going for with this album and just uh speaking about my family uh in that way it really means a lot to me you toured the interior of BC this past June, uh, mm-hmm. which included a slot on the Tiny Lights Festival alongside acts including Sam Tudor, Devours, and Sam Lynch. How did the tour go, and what was your experience like playing Tiny Lights? That was one of the whole thing, the tour plus Tiny Lights, just one of the most meaningful experiences of my life thus far. Um, the tour was really special. I went with one of my really good friends, Devin Francis. She also actually sings on the album a couple backup vocal moments. And she sang, she was my tour manager and she sang with me every night for a couple songs. And the tour was, was so awesome. Each venue was so different. Um, we stayed with friends and family the whole way along. And so it was this very sweet meaningful week or eight days where we were connecting with friends, connecting with family. We played, you know, it's sort of this like community space in Kamloops and then at my friend's farm in Chase and we played at a brewery and then at my friend's permaculture farm and um, at a lodge in Naramata. So there, yeah, there was just so many different venues and different audiences. Um, and people were so receptive of my music who I don't know. You know, I'm used to used to the people I know liking my music, but it was cool to ha- meet people. Like I sold my first record to someone I didn't know. I think that was, that was a big moment where these people came up to me in the brewery and they just happened to be there that night. They weren't even looking for live music and they were so compelled by my music that they wanted to buy a record. So that was very, very cool. So the tour mm-hmm. was great. And then Tiny Lights was, I think the moment that really characterizes how amazing Tiny Lights was for me is that my whole band cried after our second set at the festival because we were, it just was so beautiful. And I also, I, I did the thing where I talked about my inner child on stage. And so, you know, really touched everybody. But um, yeah, like one of my, another great musical inspiration of mine, uh, Ferris Romero of Ferris and Jason Romero. They were playing in the festival and Ferris came and saw a part of my set and and so, and then 
as she was in the back, I was speaking on stage, you know, talking about how this was my first album and this is the first festival I'd ever played. And, and I remember being a kid and a teenager and going to music festivals and seeing the performers on stage and thinking, wow, that's so amazing. Like I can, I can imagine myself doing that. And then, you know, said to the audience, like I am doing that. And so my inner child is like really happy to be here. And I'm so grateful that you're all sharing this moment with us. And I was saying it as one of my musical inspirations was like in the crowd. Uh, and then so afterwards the whole band got off stage and we all cried <laughs> and the whole, and what was really cool too is the whole room. We started doing this thing where we got Petrichor. We turned Petrichor into a sing-along at tiny lights because the audiences are often really engaged. So we ended the set with the whole room of, you know, 50 people singing along to my song. Wow. And that was also one that that room the schoolhouse at tiny lights is like the most beautiful venue ever there's something about the old wood that's like so resonant and so everyone singing along is like very it's the sound is just amazing um and so yeah just having a room full of strangers singing my song back to me having one of my musical inspirations be a part of that um it was a very emotional and magical um moment so that was that was and then tiny lights overall was just super fun it was amazing to meet all these incredible musicians to see such awesome acts and um but yeah really having it be like my first my first festival was a pretty pretty awesome experience yeah sounds like it shifting gears a little bit you're a creator on the ampled platform which i understand is kind of like patreon but Mm -hmm. different what can you tell us about this platform and what do you like about it um this your question comes at an interesting time because we actually just found out if maybe two months ago or a month ago that Ampled is going to shut down. Oh shoot! I know, but I I am hopeful that maybe it won't because I need to send some emails. But uh, so I, I was mentioning that I have another job, a day job. That day job is I work. Uh, as the education coordinator for an organization that supports the development of cooperatively owned businesses, so businesses that are democratically owned which is awesome we love workplace ownership you know people collectively owning things means they can be more accessible it means um, power and money is distributed amongst the owners Uh, it's a much in my opinion a much more equitable way to practice business and so what's really cool about Ampled is it's like Patreon it's effectively the same but it's for musicians specifically is one difference And the second difference is that it's owned by the musicians. So rather than it being a business that's owned by, you know, shareholders, um, the, the musicians who are on the platform are actually the people making the decisions about how the business runs. This is why I'm hopeful that Ampled might not totally shut down because I think, um, there is opportunity for the members, the people who own the musicians who own Ampled to come together and, and make sure that it can carry forward. Um, and I just haven't had the capacity to email them and talk to them about that yet because I've been releasing an album and whatever, whatever. Um, but it's not supposed to shut down until the end of the year. So I'm hopeful that we can keep it afloat because I do think there's so much power in musicians or in art, in creators, like, being owners and in charge of their work and, and and like how they make money because so often as a creator you are at the whim of other people controlling your career and controlling your money and so this is I think a really radical and like important way that um to sort of you know keep get 
give control and power and money to artists. I've made so much money on this platform also. I'm sure I would do well on Patreon also, but like I really want it to carry forward because I it's been so beneficial to me as an artist and to many friends I know who are on the platform as well. Yeah, and is there anything that I guess people who aren't part of Ampled right now can help with what's currently going on? That's or? a really good question. Um, my understanding, I still need to get some more clarity on what's on what's going on, but my understanding is the issue is largely a, one of capacity um, and feasibility for sort of the, the platform to keep running based on the people power that they have to, to make it go. So... Um, like I want to be like maybe funding, but I don't like funding potentially for being able to pay people to do the work. Um, but if people are interested, connect with me <laughs> and I will, I will investigate and then I will help mobilize if there's a way. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. Everything winds up working out. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I think there's a lot of room for democratically owned businesses and different things in the arts and so even if if ampled's you know doesn't make it through the end of the year i'm hopeful that more things like this will be able to survive and i'm sh- i'm understanding that they want to you know share their their information uh in the case that somebody else wants to do something similar yeah well it just it, i just thought about this is that one of the more glaring issues for musicians in the music industry is that unlike say film which is you know got plenty of union representation you don't have that in the music industry no totally and um i've been thinking about this a lot i've actually considered um with some friends we've talked i don't know i don't really know how it would work but i think the idea of like a cooperatively owned record label where musicians own their own record label would be Ooh, so cool and make cool it makes so much sense right because yeah. like why should like because then you also are owners of your creative content like it's so ridiculous that labels own people's masters let's see if i can have will edit in like solidarity forever underneath <laughs> this part of the episode <laughs> yeah. also encourages people to like support each other absolutely in terms of like capital as well as like well i'm going to support you because i like your art totally yeah exactly yeah 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 as opposed to like no i'm I'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna give you a loan so you can make money for me and you owe me that money back absolutely yeah it's a totally different way to think about and a much yeah much more empowering and um i think just way to think about like how to make music (laughs) yeah well because again like right now just thinking about film by a point of comparison the writer's strike is going on Mm -hmm. at the moment this will date the podcast hopefully very quickly (laughs) because i (laughs) I have a family member who works in film and they they definitely want to get back to work sooner rather than later but yeah you know the the writers on strike right now so new productions are not going on until they yeah. get what they are looking for in terms of compensation. Right. I guess so. we, are we forming a union after this? <laughs> what else is on the books for Madeline Reed this year? That is also a good question. I I ended up actually really burning myself out um, through this releasing this um, album, which is uh, why I have re- asked to reduce my hours at work and. Uh, I don't know why I thought I would be immune to burnout, you know, <laughs> but it, so many artists talk about it and I now like have experienced it in a very real way. Um, so I didn't, after my tour, I didn't book any shows really because for the summer because I wanted to give myself space to rest. 
Um, but then I, what happened is I came back from tour and I was like, oh my God, I feel so energized. <laughs> like I understand I'm now getting the validation for all this work that I've been putting in. And I have another show later in the summer. I want to keep doing it. I want to create space in my life for that. So I'm hopefully taking the summer to, to write again. I haven't really written anything since I wrote my last song for Concrete Country because I've just been so in production and release mode since then. Um, but since coming back from tour, I've, I've suddenly felt this, this urge um, and energy to create and to write. So that's really exciting because for a moment I was like, will I ever, will I ever write again? <laughs> but now I feel that energy again. And so hopefully through the summer, I'll play a show here and there, write a lot. Um, and then maybe release some singles in the, in the spring of next year, depending on how the creation process goes. But definitely, definitely wanting to continue um, the momentum after this release and keep writing, keep creating, really put energy into trying to book more festivals for next summer because uh, Tiny Lights was so awesome. I just really want to play more festivals. I think that festivals are the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> Obviously, like, uh, yeah, keeping yourself busy, but also... Um it's keeping the momentum rolling from mm-hmm. tour. Totally. What local bands or artists would you recommend we check out or bring on the show for a future episode? Ooh. Uh, um, well, you could bring Spindle, <laughs> my my band's band. Uh, there's also also a large part of my band is uh, a part of Earth Tones, as I mentioned. They're amazing. I don't know if you've had them on the show before. Not yet. They just recorded a bunch of new music, too, so they're, they might be in a good, exciting moment to talk to them um you had janky that's great have you had cassidy wearing on i think when she had a group with her ex-partner okay a while ago okay she can make a comeback yeah yeah because she has an album out that's so that's so great that's under her her name specifically who else is oh gosh there's so many so many amazing people yeah those are the ones that are coming to mind right off the top of my head but i'm sure there are many many others have you had emmett jerome on no oh he's fabulous or like his band um he's bad uh, money yeah he's in uh connected to the urban countries scene yes. as well yeah yeah and you know what's so funny is we um played a show together and through playing that show together we found out that our um our parents are live a house apart from each other or my no mom way. Just, my mom is moving to vancouver island in the nearish future uh, and uh bought a new house and um and it's one house over from or you know w- there's one house in between emmett's parents and my parents <laughs> which is hilarious yeah that's a good list that's a good list yeah, right yeah okay good. i didn't do yeah, so always, bad <laughs> yeah oh you should have my sister savannah reed on this on yeah. the show too she's so good she produces and mixes and masters all her own stuff oh she's nice like 21 she's incredible i i know yeah. i know <laughs> <laughs> we could have her produce some of your stuff i know i've yeah. thought about it i've thought about it our, our genres are a little bit different but um i could probably convince her to help me out it's handy it is. Yeah. It is. Adds adds intrigue for sure. Okay. Well, thank you, Madeline. This has been great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm yeah. so yeah, so grateful to have been here and thanks for asking me such good questions and letting me chat about all my stuff. Yeah, happy to have you on the show. Sweet. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, James Olson. Before we close this episode off with one more song by our featured guest, I just want to let you know that you can keep up with what we're up to on Facebook and Instagram at Pacific Sound Radio and on our website at PacificSoundRadio.com. If you like the show, you can give us a five-star rating and a positive review on your podcast platform of choice that lets you leave reviews. This is What I Know Now. I've been 
So